Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Well, we are back on the Colonial Hills Podcast. I am joined, as always, in the studio by the alive Matt Barfield. Glad to be alive. And the Pastor Brandon, who's also alive. Hey, hey, also glad to be alive. But we're more glad that Matt Barfield is alive because Why almost, would you say that? Because he almost know, there died was a last crisis. Week. I thought you were just going to stop with we're more glad that Matt's alive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Matt Barfield had ap- no. an appendectomy ascites right? last week. It. Yeah. Well, it's close. People will know what I mean. Thankful to be feeling better. Thanks His appendix for is praying. gone. Everybody's yes. been really great writing notes, and I uh, appreciate everybody. Thanks so much. So we're glad to have him back. And we have two lessons to cover. Lesson number one was well, actually lesson number four. We're talking about the armor of God in our series, Fight the Good Fight. And lesson number two, which is actually, or I should say the second lesson we're covering, is lesson number five on the conquering king. So let's talk about the gospel armor, the right clothes for the right job can make a big difference. So I kind of start off with this analogy. If you have a firefighter who goes into a burning house wearing a soccer jersey, Uh, That will not go well. If you have a soccer player who's lining up on the field wearing a firefighter's outfit, also not going to go well. A soldier walking out into the battlefield wearing a t-shirt and shorts is not going to have a good day. And as we've seen, the Bible depicts us as at war, and the Bible also tells us what we need to wear if we're going to go out into war. Um, I have a question here. I'll, I'll just go ahead and ask it. Why might we be tempted to think that putting on spiritual armor is less necessary than a soldier suiting up for battle? We, we hear about the gospel armor, put on each piece with prayer, right? And, and we, we know it, and, and yet we don't often think about it as seriously. I guarantee you there's no soldiers going out to, to battle wearing T-shirts and shorts. And yet there are many times Christians go out uh, to face the day and they haven't suited up. They haven't thought through uh, what the spiritual armor looks like and what it means. Why? Why do we take one more seriously than the other? Yeah, I think we've talked about this previously, but number one, it's it's an invisible enemy. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, so it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But then also, I think we do underestimate our enemy. Um, I don't really suit up when I wrestle my kids because it's not that deadly. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. But if I underestimate my spiritual enemies, I, I'm not going to be as prepared. I feel like when you ask this question, and you, you do this a lot, where the first question is kind of like, in order for me to answer it, I need to like go discuss the rest of the lesson. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of dislike that because I'm like, I, I want to say what I want to say, but that's like more what's going to happen later. Gotcha. Um, and so you know, I think if you rethink, if you look at the list of things that are in this armor and the things that we need to do in the armor, so standing, being strong, uh, the armor, you know, we got the um, preparation of the gospel peace. We've got the belt of truth. We've got the shield of faith. If you take faith and peace and, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, if you just take those things, you think, well, of course a Christian needs those things. But this text says those things are for battle. So it's, it's putting this new perspective on it. If I say, Hey, you need peace in your life. You need faith in your life. You need, you need, uh, you know, truth in your life. You would be like, well, of course every, nobody would be objecting to any of that. But now if I right. say, yeah, and actually truth is going to be really helpful because in the battle, truth keeps it all together, right? In the battle, faith will take those, quench those fiery darts of the wicked one, right? In the battle, salvation's helmet's on your head, and if you don't have that, you're toast, right? So it's, it's sort of like, yeah, I know those things. So, of course, I'm, the fact that they're weapons or in a, in a, a battle context kind of puts it in that, in that right perspective that way yeah. we're thinking. Good. Um, I hope I didn't ruin the rest of your lesson. No, that's all right. Let's, <laughs> let's go, on go to, to lesson five. five, the conquering king. No. So the, this passage, we're looking at Ephesians six ten through, uh, verse 17. And I had somebody ask me, they said, so why didn't we cover prayer at the end? I mean, it, prayer is a part of this verse 18 and prayer is a part of it. And I, I told them, I said, well, it's just because we ran out of space. This lesson is already too long uh, for people trying to get through everything, but prayer is an important part of that. I don't want to forget that. 
Uh, but we have the need for the armor, that's verses 10 through 13, and then we have the pieces of the armor, that's verses 14 through 17. So the need for the armor, there's a call to be strong, and there's, as a result of that, the call to stand. Um, when we're called on to be strong, now we're called on to be strong in the Lord, but at the same time, there is a, a, a command here, be strong and, and stand. There's many people today who are uncomfortable with strong calls to action in Christianity. Why do you think that might be, that somebody might look at that and say, uh, I don't know, do we, you know, it's more about trusting and resting and relying on God's grace than it is about going out and being strong and taking a stand and, and doing battle. Why, why do you think there's kind of been that shift in broader Christianity? I feel like, as you asked that, I need to think through this a little bit um, in a deeper way than maybe I have before. Obviously, in Scripture, we're called sheep, and sheep don't take last stands, you know. <laughs> Just standing there is a last stand for a sheep. I mean, it's like, so we're, we're part of that. We're part of his uh, body, right? So there are soft descriptions of this. They're, they're, they're not all combative, right? But then there is the fight. Then there are those descriptions of that. So I think... I think sometimes in a, in a violent and unhinged society, which is increasingly going on around us more and more, in a world that we're aware of, and we've talked about this before, where you're aware of things happening, bad things happening all around the world, it feels like all that craziness, anti-Christian, against the gospel, so the gospel must be peaceful and calm and comforting, right, in contrast to all of those things. So I think a lot of people feel like, man, my only respite from the crazy battle is coming here to church and being with believers who love the Lord and love me and love his word. So this just feels good here. I want to stay here feeling good when I think about Christian things. And and so this, maybe the reason they shy away from this idea is we already got battle. Battle's happening all the time. I, I don't really want to think about that when I think about Christianity. Yeah, and I think a couple of things I thought of, and they're just Again, some thoughts and just looking at our culture, we're very non-confrontational. Mm. Um, I, I think a, a virtue in our culture that they've lifted up is politeness at all costs. Mm. And so if I'm yeah, going to be strong and stand against these these spiritual wickedness in high places, like that, that means a, a second thought is I've mm. got to recognize that there is a lot of evil around me, and we don't really like to think about that. And um, I, I was going somewhere even a little bit further with that. I think... Potentially, in some people's minds, uh, to to think about that need to stand strong, it's admitting that I, I need help or that maybe even I'm in a position of weakness that I need to actually fortify myself against this. Um, and then I think we like to, to just think on the side of the, vic the victory. And we don't like the process of the victory, but we like the result of that. And that's where we kind of park and land. Um, but there is a process to it too, as well through Jesus. So a lot of thoughts I'm kind of pulling yeah, together Yeah, there's there, so but, much to think in about yeah. this. I, I just was occurring to me as you're talking that in a in an army, you have these the soldiers who do the fighting, hmm. and then you have the commanders who arrange it all. And the soldiers who do the fighting, the moment nobody tells them what to do, they don't fight. Hmm. Right? They don't they don't keep doing it for no reason, right? They 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 fulfill their order and that's it. And so as a Christian, I'm I'm inculcating Obviously, I have my king who's in heaven. I have my I have the commander who's given us a charge, given to the whole church. We have people who encourage us at different levels, who lead us at different levels. But in terms of the spiritual fight, it's almost like we have to inculcate, bring everything inside of both. I have to be the, both my own commander and my own soldier, right? I'm understanding the battle lines and what the strategies are, and I'm out there doing the fighting. And that's a tough thing mentally to squeeze into one person. Hmm. I asked this question, and one of the um, table teachers, uh, group, small group teachers, made a really good point. 
and was kind of where I was going with it too, but they said, I think some of it may be an overreaction to a previous time in Christianity when perhaps the do, 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 do was mm-hmm. all the emphasis and there wasn't a strong emphasis on the, the power of God, yeah. the grace of God that enabled that. And so because it was all do, 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 the reaction tends to be to overreact and the pendulum swings. And so now we go to the other side and now it's just, no, 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 grace, you let know. Go and let go and let God. Yeah, let go and let God. <clears throat> there's, there's a certain sector, I think, in broader evangelical Christianity where the idea is almost if, if you're trying, you're doing it wrong, you know, because God's got to be the one that does it. And it's only through the power of the Spirit. And those things are true, but then there's also a lot of commands and imperatives, like be mm-hmm. strong and stand and do these things. Yeah, I was reading through Second Peter 1 yesterday, and that's a big theme of that. There's a lot of—he opens up with a lot of grace. And, hey, here's, here's everything that God's given you, the precious promises. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. But then he says, with all diligence, add to these things. And so there mm-hmm. is this reciprocal relationship between grace and my effort and diligence. And that word diligence comes up twice in Second Peter 1, that, hey, there does involve some diligence in, in my life to, to live a life that pleases God. So let's talk about the armor of God. We'll start off with the first one, the belt of truth. Um, now, there's a little bit of debate about what example, what exactly the belt of truth is. Um, so the question is, when we say truth, are we talking about God's truth or are we talking about my truth? And you're like, wait a second. I don't have truth. I know this. This is a lie. This is a false. And it's not the sense of my truth is in what I believe to be true, but this would be the sense of my own truthfulness, my integrity. Um, and so the question then becomes, is this saying that the belt is God's truth that everything um, attaches to, or is it saying that my truthfulness, my integrity is an important part of taking a stand against Satan? I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts about that. I, I think it has to be objective truth. Okay. Um, when, you, when you start to, to move away from that, and particularly the role that a belt has in battle, but when you think about... Um, inter- injecting into a battle uncertainty, right? I mean, objective truth is necessary to know what you're doing. Yeah. And so I think it's very, particularly when we're talking about spiritual matters that when we're so used to relying on, on our eyes and our other senses, um, it's important to know what's what. And I think, you know, without objective truth, we're not going to really stand a chance in the fight. Yeah, I don't know that. I, I think the emphasis is the second part. And especially because of I've studied this passage before, and I know what's coming next with the, the breastplate of righteousness, and I think that they have a relationship there. But I do agree to some extent. I can't live a life of truth if I don't know objective truth. And so there's a relationship and a connection there that, yes, I have to regulate my life with truth and be a truthful person. But that comes from outside of me as well. Um, yeah. The truth doesn't arrive, uh, arise right. from within me. It's it comes from my without. truth. Yeah. Yeah, but it is the truth that you've apprehended, right? Mm-hmm. It's the it's the mm-hmm. things that you that are true that have come to you. Not everything true has come to you, right? There's plenty of things that are true that you don't know. Uh, like, well, and I man, think that's offensive. I know so, <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how many things I know. I'm a fundamentalist. Um, <laughs> um, so the reason I actually went with like Pastor Brandon, I went with the second one, the objective truth, and part of that is because later we're going to get the sword of the spirit, so that you know that would seem mm-hmm. to be the the same piece twice. Um, the other thing that leans me in that direction is the breastplate of righteousness. And we'll talk about that too. Is that Christ's righteousness or my righteousness? Um, and I would say, spoiler alert, it's my righteousness, which is only possible because of Christ's righteousness. So, um, but I think too, as you know, we were studying James last night uh, in our Wednesday night church service. And one of the things that we talked about 
was the very end of the chapter where he says, if any man, you know, seems to be religious, but bridleth not his own, his tongue, he deceiveth his heart. You know, this man's religion is vain. And I think that that category of self-deception is going to be one of the number one things that, that prevents any of us from going in Christ. I, I've seen that to be the case in my life where we will, people that, that will lie will lie to themselves. And people that lie to themselves are, are, are just open pickings uh, for Satan. And so I think the, the opposite of being a hypocrite or somebody who's self-deceived would be somebody who's committed to the truth, even when the truth cuts me. And I think that's, I, that's what I would think uh, Paul's uh, focus is here in this verse. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, agreements, disagreements. I think, I'll hold, I think I'll hold my thoughts until we get to breastplate of righteousness because they, they tie together a lot with what you're just saying. Yeah, well, that should be quick then, because that's the next one. All right, breastplate of righteousness, let's go. All right, Brandon, do you have any thoughts on the breastplate of righteousness? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting. I've been reading through uh, quite a few letters by Paul and reading through some of the lists. He's the king of lists. He always is listing things out. A lot of lists. And I want to study it more, but I I did notice that pretty, pretty commonly at the beginning of those lists, he talks about just doing right, being right, doing the right thing, even when it's hard. I mean, you see that in 1 Timothy 6, which is what we study in our men's Bible study, um, that we've got to put on righteousness. And as I'm studying this passage, I'm, I, I'm looking at who Paul is speaking to. He's speaking to believers. They, they already have the righteousness of Jesus mm. Christ. So if he's telling them to put this on, he's not telling them to put on something they already have, right? So this is something that you need to actively do, put this on, and it is protection against the schemes, the wiles, and I even in applicate more of an applicational sense against the accusations of Satan. Like Satan's the accuser and he wants to always accuse me before God, myself and others. And if I'm doing right, that that's a defense against wrong thinking as Satan hurls accusations against me. I was listening to um, Al Mohler's podcast on the briefing uh, this was a couple of days ago, he responded to Andy Stanley, he responded to him. And he essentially went out and said, Andy Stanley needs to be clear about what exactly he believes about these LGBTQ issues because he's been really wishy-washy, had a conference where men, married to men, came and spoke. And so Andy Stanley, you know, he clarified in a way that made things all the murkier. And um, his response was, well, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, he said, I also believe that for some people, celibacy just isn't a realistic option. Um, or something along those lines. Right. Basically, there, there's some people just, it's not, celibacy is not going to work for them. And I mean, that that's dangerous because you got 1 Corinthians 6, which says, well, people who engage in these things won't inherit the kingdom. Mm-hmm. They, they, won't, they won't go to heaven, as we would say today. But I just thought, you know, a lot of people kind of have that mentality of like, well, yeah, that's wrong. I, I shouldn't do that, but oh, well, you know, that's just the way it's, it's going to have to be because I can't, I can't fix that. I can't overcome that. And I think when you do that, that's the opposite of taking up the breastplate of righteousness. The mm-hmm. breastplate of righteousness is I'm going to live for Christ every minute of every day as best as I can. And when I fall, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep living righteously. And living righteously is a huge antidote to the attacks of Satan. Because when you're living unrighteously, you've already decided, okay, I'm going to walk in the flesh. Yep. And once you've decided, okay, I'm going to walk in the flesh, when Satan comes, how are you going to rely on the spirit to say no to those temptations? So I think as you said, Brandon, both the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth, I take as if you are not a person of integrity, if you're not a person who's trying to live rightly, that right there is going to open you way up to the bigger and bolder attacks of Satan. Yeah, and I think some of the very early commands in his lists are, hey, tell the truth, do right. And that's going to be some big, big defensive stances you take against the wiles of the devil. And 
Um, that's part of the put off, right? Like yeah. I got to put off these bad things. Then I, yes, now I need to start renewing my mind. And well, and that's interesting. Yeah. Ephesians on. four, the very first thing you're told to put off is lying. Right. And we yeah. kind of think of that as like a little kid thing. You know, I've got kids like stop lying to daddy. <laughs> you know, I watched you on the video camera. I know you're lying. Um, we don't really think as much about adults lying. Um, but that is, that is a huge problem. Yeah. Um, it struck me as you talked about that, the, as righteousness is doing right. Um, you know, having these right things that I'm, that I'm doing for God's glory by his strength, of course, all these things. But, um, that's obviously all these things are an ongoing battle, but we need to keep doing it. It's not like you can say, well, I did righteousness 10 years ago, mm-hmm. so I've got the breast, the breastplate of yep. righteousness here. Uh, it reminds me of a, a story I read in revival history. I can't remember the name of the preacher, but he was over in Scotland and, uh, he got to use him at a young age. And, um, he went around as an evangelist and talked about the revival and what God was doing, how people can be saved and all these things. And, um, over the years, um, he got further away from the thing that he got known for and was more known for, was actually just telling about it. Right. So he was talking about past victories. He wasn't seeing them Mm -hmm. in his life right then. And one day his daughter came up to him. I think she was maybe 10 or 12 and said, daddy, um, how come all the things you're talking about was only 10 years ago? Why, Mm -hmm. why isn't there anything now? Mm -hmm. And, and that broke him. Oh yeah. And, and he saw God do again, a great work mm. through him. And he prepared himself for that was doing righteousness. So I think, you know, if you're, if you got body armor on and it gets shot, thank God that you had that thing on and you're not dead, mm-hmm. but then you take out the plate and you put a new one in. You don't mm-hmm. want to, Oh, I love that one that got shot before. No, no, no. It got shot before. Get rid of it, put a new plate in. So you're ready to go. I think the idea of continually doing right as a continual protection in this continual battle. Mm. Good. We'll move on. Um, again, we're trying to get through these quickly. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, shoes uh, were hugely important in ancient battle. Uh, you wanted to have good traction when you're fighting because a lot of this is hand-to-hand combat. And, and not only that, but um, a lot of times they would uh, link up together and kind of do these charges with their shields. And in order to do that, you got to have good traction to, again, to push forward. And so um, this is called Shoes of the Preparation of the Gospel of Peace. And as with many of these, uh, there's debate. What exactly is the preparation of the gospel of peace? Is it I'm prepared to go out and preach, or is it I'm prepared by the gospel of peace? Um, that the, the peace of the gospel helps prepare me and gives me a, a sure uh, grounding. And <clears throat> again, I kind of went more with the second one where I said, I think the idea here is that the gospel of peace if I'm prepared with that, that gives me a firm footing as I fight against Satan. How is it that the peace of the gospel can prepare us for the attacks of Satan? Well, people are bound to ask where you got your shoes. <laughs> hey, look at those. Those are nice. Uh, and that's somewhat, is that supposed to be a reference to an facetious. old line? No, no, somewhat facetious. Okay. But, but, but at the same time, when you're stable and nobody else is, you stand out. And what's makes, what makes you stable? Well, the gospel of peace does. So I think they kind of go together, both those thoughts. If, yeah. you're, if you have that sure footing, then you know, it's really nice. I, I feel bad for people that aren't career preachers because people say, Hey, who are you? Oh, I'm Matt Barford. What do you do? Oh, yeah. Allow me to share that with you. <laughs> like, I was hoping you'd ask. Yeah, it's very Sometimes simple. you lead off with like, what do you do? I have an and introduction you're just like, and conclusion. Kind of waiting <laughs> for them to be like, and what do you do? Well, yeah, it's funny. You should mention that. Right, right, right. I'm a pastor. Do you go to church anywhere? Yeah. So it's pretty normal for us to do that. But, but you know, in every area of life, I mean, Walter Wilson was, was a man who was always witnessing and he's, he would always tell people he had many careers, but his one, his sole profession or his primary profession was to give the gospel to people. Mm. And so he was ready. He was excited about it. He was ready to go. Um, I think no matter what our occupation, we can be people that are, sh- have that sure footing of salvation and ready to give it to others. 
Yeah, and I think what you just tied on remind me of the verse, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And uh, when I was practically applying this and I studied it before we did this lesson, um, I was thinking, how does the gospel actually give me peace? Yeah, like when I mess up and I, I sin, I have sure footing before God because I know Jesus has already paid for that sin. When my loved one dies and goes to heaven and I know that they've accepted Christ, hey, I have, I have peace because I know where they are. Um, just all of those different areas of life. Hey, when I don't agree with my government, yeah, <laughs> like, hey, I have peace because... I know what's going to happen, and I know Jesus is going to be King of Kings, and there's just there's just a solid footing there that does give us opportunity to share the gospel. But I do think the emphasis is again on the defensive. Hey, how am I going to withstand these attacks from the devil? Is that I know I have peace with God through the gospel. Yeah, um, we'll keep going, uh, and I think I'm just going to mention these. Obviously, we have uh, the shield of faith, which is. Uh, belief. This is how we quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Satan sends attacks our way and we respond with belief. Belief in what? Well, belief in God and what he has said and what he's like. Um, and you could really take any particular sin and trace it back to a root problem of something that I'm not believing. Either I'm not believing what God has said, I'm not believing who God is. Um, uh, we also have the helmet of salvation, which obviously the helmet is what protects. And so our salvation is what gives us um, uh, you know, ultimate protection in the battle. And then the sword of the spear, the only offensive weapon and that would be the dagger. The only thing that we can shoot back with is not our own words, but the words of God himself. So let's go ahead and move on to chapter five or lesson five, the conquering uh, king. You know, you said at the beginning of that, that one that if you're in a real battle, you, there's no way you would be caught without your armor. Um, but part of the training, from what I understand in the military, is keep your helmet on because mm. a lot of times people just get hot and sweaty and decide to take it off. Or, yeah. you know, you, you don't have what you need near you because it was, you, you got lackadaisical, you know, or I've seen people doing the under the wire crawls and they got bullets flying over them. Keep your head down. Keep your head down. Like, you, you, of course you keep yeah. your head down. There's bullets flying. No, you're, you're actually going to stand up. Like it's, you think it would be obvious, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's not. And I think, I think that's a reminder to us as Christians. We need to be alert to this. Because you would think it's obvious. Of course, you got to have truth. Of course, you got to have faith. Of course, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, you just missed it. I, I was reminded of that this week with my recovery. You know, I got discouraged. I was not recovering yeah. like I thought I would. And I was like, man. And then it's like, well, wait a second. What's, what's a faith response to this? What's God doing today? Hmm. You know, what's, what's happening today because of what God says? So it's an important corrective. It's easy. It's easy mm-hmm. to forget, even when you're in an actual bullet battle. Hmm. Well, I was doing some reading on this, and uh, I think it's interesting. They made the point, if you're a soldier and you're, you're camping out, first thing you do is you put down your sword and you put down your, your helmet. But then when danger comes, boom, those are the first things you grab. And right. that's, that's what's going to enable you to offensively go in. Yeah. And just grabbing that helmet of salvation and the sword of truth that, hey, man, I, th- this is what I need for, yeah, for, sure. for defending myself and accomplishing what we're here to accomplish. Okay, now lesson. Okay, Thank lesson five. Thank no, you. that Let's was good. Go back Feel to better. <laughs> you know, that reminds me of lesson three. Actually, yeah. <laughs> if we could. No, but uh, we'll uh, talk about lesson five: the conquering king. And um, so we're going to take some time. I, you know, one of the things about teaching this is I sat there in the le- and as I was teaching, and I heard another group behind us start, and it might have been uh, the history teacher, one of the history teachers at Colonial, and he had such a good introduction. I'm like, oh man, I should have had him read that introduction. Um, write it for me. Uh, but he was making the point that, you know, we often think of generals uh, as people who sit back, you know, in air-conditioned offices and draw plans, because that's kind of what happens today. He said in ancient times, if you were the king, if you were the emperor, if you were the you were the one leading the charge, like you were out there on the battlefield, on the front lines, 
uh, which is very different from what we think today. And yet that's exactly what we see uh, in the New Testament, that Jesus comes as our conquering king, and he takes the first wave. Uh, he goes in and uh, takes the hit. And um, as I was thinking about this, Jesus' victory over evil, which obviously is a major theme in Scripture, it kind of made sense to me to just focus on three times in Jesus' life when he has victory over Satan. So the first would be Je Jesus' victory over Satan and his temptation. The second would be Jesus' victory over Satan and his death and resurrection. And the final one would be Jesus' victory over Satan at Armageddon. We're going to save Armageddon for later. That's actually going to be the final lesson in the series. But as we talk through Jesus' victory over Satan in his temptation and in his um, death and resurrection, let's talk a little bit about these. Let's start, first of all, with the fact that Jesus, in his temptation, models perfect obedience. Um, and so as we look at this, obviously this is you know Matthew 4, uh, Luke 4. Uh, Jesus is facing the temptation of the devil. He's coming and hitting him when he's hungry. He's appealing to his pride and his ego, and he's ultimately offering him everything in the world if he'll just bow down and worship. And Jesus three times comes back with scripture and says, uh, you know, it is written, it is written, it is written. So how can we prepare ourselves like Christ to be ready for the attacks uh, of Satan? And uh, what kinds of things will prevent us from uh, being prepared as Christ was? Well, we can be ignorant, you know, and not knowing the things that are afforded us. It's very easy to sink to a low ebb spiritually. I mean, I think we all feel that downward pull. So you know, God gives us all the things that we need to pertain to life and godliness. We have all things richly to enjoy. He's afforded us with this incredible armor and his own spirit and all of these things. We can do this. And uh, it's very easy to lay those things aside to underestimate what he's given us and maybe just to be ignorant. I didn't know he would give me temptation, victory over this temptation. I didn't know he could do it like this. Um, and so it's important for us to, to really know what it is that we have in Christ. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, how are we going to be prepared like Christ? I have to know the Word of God, just like Jesus did. I mean, his immediate response was bringing the truth of Scripture to what Satan was trying to tempt him with. Um, and then uh, I was just thinking through James 4, and you were talking about those, the internal lusts and the external pressures. And both of those are kind of a, a temptation for us to doubt who God is and what his goodness. Uh, when when internal temptations come, we think, God, if, if I want this so badly, why are you keeping it from me? Mm -hmm. um, and when external pressures come, God, if you love me so much, why are you allowing this, this to happen to me? And Jesus, in those times, and he was prepared with the word of God. He knew what truth was, and he knew what God's plan for him was. And I'm going to know what truth is and what God's plan for me is. Huh. Let's, um, let's keep going. This one's a little bit more interesting. Jesus lived a life of righteousness. Now, it's important to realize that uh, Jesus' death and resurrection um, alone, I want to be careful as I say this, was alone insufficient for our salvation. And I, you say, how can you say that? Well, because the author of Hebrews says that. The author of Hebrews says that he learned obedience through the things which he suffered, that he had to become like his brothers uh, to be a sacrifice for them. Why is it that we don't often think about the life of righteousness that Christ lived and we focus so much on his death and his resurrection? I think we, we tend to shy away from anything that makes Christ's experience like ours. We, we enjoy rather lionizing him and taking the mythology of him. I, I don't mean it in a Greek myth way. I mean, we want to make it distance from us because that mm -hmm. takes the pressure off us. Yeah. If his example is actually what I'm supposed to be doing, then... Yeah, his temptation was real. Oh, no. Yeah. Just like ours. Oh, no, right. I look bad, right? Yeah. I once heard a preacher say, aren't you glad there's no perfect people? Because that perfect guy would make us all look bad. I'm like, <laughs> there well, was. actually, there is a perfect person. <laughs> Have you read the book of Hebrews, sir? And he does make us look bad, and that's a good thing. Like... 
You're not yeah. actually glad that nobody wins. You're gl- you're rejoicing that somebody actually did it. He he actually did it, and therefore I have hope, right? Because he lives, I live also. Because he did this, I can do this too. Yeah. Well, this this isn't just something theoretical. My daughter came to me probably about two weeks ago, out of her bed. She was thinking about this in her sleep, and she said, "Dad, wh- why did Jesus have to be perfect?" And, and I just thought, you know, we don't talk about this enough. We don't mm. like, we don't help kids understand. And maybe we don't even think about it enough that Jesus had to be a perfectly acceptable, unblemished sacrifice. Um, and that, that's part of his, his representation of us. Uh, we face every temptation. He faced every temptation like we do, yet he was without sin. He understands. Therefore he can be compassionate. He can help us. Um, the King James says he, he can succor us. He can help us. He can because he understands what we're going through and his temptation was very, very real. And I, I often say this, uh, I mean, I can imagine Jesus faced more temptation than any of us have ever faced or imagined. Cause he just had a target on his back and yeah. it, even in a greater way, it was, it was heavier for him. Well, I lived in the middle East. I talked to a lot of Muslims who were always you know, denying the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ. Um, and, and so it's understandable that we would want to say, Here's this man, Christ Jesus. Here's this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He's God. To, to bolster that and to buttress that, explain that. Obviously, mm-hmm. you want to. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of our effort and our thinking. That's that's the unusual bit. And in but America, our commercials are he gets, he gets us. us. Right. 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 <laughs> so well, and, and where I was going with that was to say, unfortunately, because we spend so much time thinking like that, we fail to realize and and to properly focus on or talk about elucidate the humanity of Christ. And we end up with some weird Gnostic thing in which he's way off and all of his, all of his power and grace is not something that's, that's like living in Galilee as a carpenter's son. It's more, it's more like a white throne and all these things. And it's less like a wooden chair that you built by yourself. Right. And, and that's, that's a mistake because it's both. And Ben started off this lesson. That's why the Jews rejected him. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we have to come up with terms like hypostatic union uh, to describe the fact that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. And if you read church history, I mean, they really struggled for the first few centuries to balance those two. Yeah. And they, they, sure. There was a lot of heresies where in various ways people dropped one in favor of the other because to hold both of those ideas in tension in my mind that Jesus is completely human and he is completely God. Uh, it kind of blows our circuits. And so, but it's necessary. It's necessary for him to be the perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it's necessary for him to be the sympathetic sacrifice. And maybe looking back through history, the, the lesson is, is that at different times, we need different kinds of corrections. And the scripture is going to continually correct us. Hmm. And so maybe today what we need to hear more of is you actually should resemble Christ. Your life actually should look like his life looked. Hmm. Yeah. And, and you ought not so distance yourself from his work on the cross or the reality of his grace today that you, you so make it beautiful and holy and, 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 and so different from whatever you could do. That you, re- you forget, to, you fail to realize that it's your responsibility. Yeah. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap this up quickly uh, as we're about out of time. Jesus' victory over Satan in his death and resurrection. Jesus proved his obedience by his death, and he provided forgiveness by his death. And in doing that, he broke the power of Satan by his death. How should knowing that the power of death has been broken by Christ impact the way that we think and live today? Well, it, it, I'm, one of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 16, 
and it says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Mm-hmm. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I, I love that conquest of the devil and the idea that the Lord is the Lord of peace. The God of peace is going to put my feet on his neck. It's just yeah. delightful. It's well, some of that, you know, to use the fancy theological terms, it's corporate Christology, the idea that we are all seen as being a part of Christ. And so what Christ does, in a sense, we do. And so when Christ conquers Satan, we participate in that, not because we in, and, we in and of ourselves are able to do that, but because we are now in Christ, whatever. And that's that's a prepositional phrase that's absolutely loaded with meaning. And it's really hard for any of us to, to really grasp what it means that I am now in Christ. But as now that I am in Christ, when Christ conquers the devil, I conquer the devil through Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's going to crush Satan under your feet. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. Well, I remember seven years ago, and I... I have this written down, and uh, I had a friend who they, they weren't able to have children for 12 and a half years. They adopted some kids, and then the Lord allowed them to get pregnant, and a couple weeks in, they, they lost the baby, and they wrote this on Facebook, and I, I, I talked this to our senior adults, so I have it written down here. Uh, they talk about this situation. They say, yes, we're very sad, but our joyful hope does not come from evading suffering. Our hope proceeds from another's death. Our joy stems from another's blood. The cry that brings us contentment are the words that were uttered on the cross. It is finished. Our joyful hope comes from the blood, death, and tears of the Lord Jesus Christ. To Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our contentment. And th- it was a longer post than that. But the, that phrase and that paragraph just was like, mm. wow. Like yeah. the victory that they understood. And these are people who understood the, the cost of sin and suffering and uh, the victory that Jesus, blood, death, and tears um, rod in their own lives. Sounds like some successful spiritual warfare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's very yep. cool. Shield of faith, trusting that God is God is good, whatever he does. Amen. All right. I think we'll go ahead and, and wrap it up there. We're looking forward to being back next week, uh, Lord willing, as we continue talking through uh, the um, uh, fighting the good fight. And we are going to be talking about angels. So oh, cool. that should be fun. We're looking forward to that. We'll see everyone then. And I uh, hope to see you next week. See ya. Talk to you later. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.